And we're recording. Hey man, how's it going? Man, I have had a good day. I am uh, I am hyped to record this episode. Nice. <laughs> sir, you sir got some good programming work done today. Uh I told you a second ago, eight thirty five hundred calories, so feeling is good. Like a, is that like a full pizza? Thirty five hundred. Oh, it wasn't. It was a couple hamburgers though. Jeez. So I was happy about that. And uh for Scott, if you're listening, sir, they were I, I use keto bread, so I'm good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nice, man. I uh, didn't have internet on Monday, and I felt crippled more than I've ever felt crippled in my life. Like, I couldn't video chat. I couldn't pull down code. I couldn't commit code. I couldn't test. I'm trying to test on an iPhone to a computer. Wasn't able to do that. I'd have to do a hotspot on my phone. I have all these backups, like when this thing would happen, and they all were slow. It was just... I don't know. I felt crippled. And then my, my wife comes upstairs and she's like, I can't use the printer. It doesn't have the internet. And like, Oh man. And they, the kids couldn't watch the show on their iPad. Oh no. You know, <laughs> that's the important part right there. All these things, you know, the alarm system um, kept beeping at us, telling us that there wasn't internet on cellular backup and like, Oh man, like without internet, so many things in my, in my house just fall apart. And uh, I also realized that with slow internet, the apps are just so painful. I need mm-hmm. to work better. And the other de- developers need to work better and making these apps work when you have really bad internet, because when they're building them, they have great internet. And so they're inefficient or they do things that take a long time to load, but you don't perceive it until you don't have very fast internet. And then it just, you know, downloading a, a huge image, even though it's just a tiny little thumbnail, uh, we need to be better and just download a small image to start yeah. with. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I remember back in the day. Um, I mean, back in the day, this is probably about eight years ago when we were when we were building web pages. We were very, very conscious about how large web pages were as we built them. And if you had a four megabyte web page, yeah, that was horrible. Like right. you were incredibly inefficient. I remember trying to get my web pages down to under four hundred kilobytes. Yeah, that's um, still big, and that's that's still yeah, that's still fairly large. Nowadays, I don't think that there's any website clocking in under 400k. There's no way. <laughs> the the uh, third-party analytics frameworks that you import to track things are going to use more than that. Yes. Like, it's crazy. Most most definitely. And so you take that and then apply it to to some of these apps, you know, where they're loading video and they're I mean, they're 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 loading a lot. Like I I would be curious to see what like how much bandwidth something like Facebook is using. Well, and they're doing things behind your back like they're tracking every button and mm-hmm. they are. I, I'm hundred percent confident they are tracking every button click every, you know, just a lot of these analytics to figure out usage behavior. They are, they're sending all of this back every time you do something and that's all going across the wire. So if you have slow internet, you have to share your slow internet with this very noisy app and the content that is trying to load on your behalf. So what do you think the balance is between analytics tracking? Like, track every single thing that the user does within an app balancing that with something like trying to track, like essentially doing something like an AB test, say you and I are building a little application and we want to see how many people are using this. Like, do we need to keep on supporting it? Like, what do you think is, and you know, tracking some basic analytics for something like that. Where do you think the, where do you think the line is drawn from use like between useful and creepy? Okay. Um, I think there's another line <laughs> if we could have <laughs> another line between things that we were going to track because we might need them someday and then things we're actually tracking. So if your your project manager comes to you and they're like, uh, you know, we need to track you know, these three button clicks, but we don't have any, char- any metrics or charts or anything that, that will ever use that that metric. We're just putting it in there because, you know, in six months in the future, we might want to build that chart. Um, so there, there's a line there of, you know, it could, because it's really easy to add one additional metric. If you're already metricing you know, a thousand different data points, adding one more is trivial. And because it's so trivial, they just get sprinkled in there like candy. Um, so there's, there's a, there's a line between 
do you even need this metric or is, are you just doing it because you, you're future proofing it? And then there's right. the other line of, um, the things that they're tracking and then the, the order and then the granularity, are they able to, um, figure out who you are based or compared to other people? Or is this just, you know, general stuff like how, what's percentage of users that click this button and comparing that to what, you know, what can we find Shane or can we find, um, yeah, Shane across two different apps because we know, um, he, he uses this type of phone and his battery level was 67% when he logged into two different sites within five minutes. Um, or they, you know, checking out, you know, all of the users on the internet that went to these two sites in the five minute window. If we know the battery level of both of them, then we've narrowed it down even farther. Um, even without GPS, you can, you might be able to even find Shane and then correlate that. That's when it, to me, gets, it's really cool, but it is super creepy. Right. Um, yeah. I'm not really worried if the companies know that I clicked the button or not, but when they can do things to track me across other apps, then I feel like I've, I've lost privacy. Right. See, I would agree with, I would agree with that statement. I think for me, the split is between what is personally identifiable, like helps the company identify me and where I am, where I am. And, you know, if they need a B test between a blue button and a red button, and they can do it without knowing who I am. Right. I'm fine with that. I don't care if they need to be able to see how many times an ad was played or a download was made. I'm fine with that. I don't care about that either. But if you are tracking me across websites or across applications that I've got more so of a problem with. And they all do it. Everybody's doing it. Firefox just recently. I think there's a new version that where they're doing DNS over HTTP. And what that means is, Verizon, AT&T, Comcast, all of these companies are going to have a harder time tracking which website you go to because now that's encrypted. That's, um, it's happening over HTTPS or SSL. And we'll talk about that later in the show. Cause I had another topic over SSL. It's a uh, really cool stuff. Yeah. And Firefox actually sent me a notification because as, as you all know, at this point, I'm a pretty diehard Firefox user. Um, sent me a notification the other day asking if I wanted to view the stats of all the, the trackers and stuff that it had, wow. had, you know, blocked. I think that over the uh, course of a week, it had stopped 12,000 different trackers and ads and cookies and all that stuff. So I didn't realize the number was going to be that high. I would have expected a eh, hundred, 150. No, like 12,000 of them. That's insane. That's 12,000. Oh, and everything's at least a K. So that's, it's many, many megabytes of extra data that's not helping you. And if you had slow internet, you'd have to you know download and handle all of that anyway. So yeah, it definitely slows you down. However, there are there are benefits from having all this tracking and stuff. Like we, um, the, our software is getting better. These these PMs in these companies are able to use this data to make the app better to remove clutter. Like Microsoft Office, the new version doesn't have as many buttons on the screen as older versions, but the buttons are, are more relevant to what you're going to be doing. And so the app is getting better. Yeah. That makes sense. Now you want to know an interesting statistic? Sure. As of 2015, which was, you know, that was, that was still four years ago. I mean, well, actually five years ago now, um, there was still 2.1 million people using dial up. Wow. I feel for them. And they're oh, still man. downloading all those things. Like you said, like, as you said, all those trackers, it's megabytes of data. Megabytes take, how long does it take for a megabyte to download over dial up? Yeah. Well, minutes. Um, I yeah. remember <laughs> three or four megabyte songs back when Napster was a thing. When was that? That's 2005. Uh, no, it was earlier than that. It's like, it is way earlier than that. Was it real time? Follow up. Real time. Viral. <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> Napster. That was funny on Wikipedia. Found in 1999. Wow. Okay, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, Wiki, and we, we, whenever we hear the name, we think of the encyclopedia now, but w Wiki, it means something else, but that doesn't matter. What's interesting to me is I can use the word Wiki now, and you understand that it's something like a, uh, an encyclopedia. It has yes. that, that correlation. And I'll talk about this later in there in the site or in the, the show too. I want to build my own little wiki of, of all of my notes and things mm -hmm. um, like little tidbits that 
you know, are just sprinkled around. Like I've been using drafts a lot and I keep talking about it, but where do you put the stuff that you have in drafts when you process it? And maybe a personal, private, secure wiki that you can, you know, export and have with you for the rest of your life might be a good spot for that. Um, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that soon. Yeah, that makes sense. So can you, can you tell me why, why was the internet down? When did you get it back up? How long was it going? <laughs> I woke up, uh, internet went down and we have our alarm system has a uh, cellular backup and I get a push notification whenever it loses connection. So I woke up, saw that, um, looked at the, the Comcast, uh, status page. And it said that they were working, there was like maintenance or something in our neighborhood. No, I'm totally fine with that. It was also snowing. So like, I'm totally fine with that. Or, you know, if there's snow that knocked down a tree or broke a line. I understand. So, um, it came back an hour or two later and then it went down again. And the second time it went down, their status page said that everything was good and they were going to do maintenance in several more days. So that's not what I want to see. I don't want no. them to think everything's good and great, but it's down because it might be down for just me or it might be down for the whole neighborhood. If it's for the whole neighborhood, I don't, I'm not even going to call them. If it's just me and I'm assuming it's the whole neighborhood, then I might be down longer than mm-hmm. you know, had I been proactive. So I, I start trying to do stuff like talk to the neighbors who also have the same internet and do my little slew thing and working from home. This is a lot bigger. You know, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it is the a office. huge deal. And the internet's down, you know, play foosball and you, you, <laughs> you make relationships. But when the internet's down here, it's, oh man, like, I can't even go down to spend time with the girls because yeah, <laughs> everything along the way is the microwave's not working for some reason. The doorknobs don't open. Like yeah, not really, but yeah, well, but it feels like that. Yeah. It just uh, goes to show like how much internet has become. It, it, it's become something like electricity, you know? Without it, a utility. life really does come. Yeah, it's becoming a utility. Which, Without it, life kind of just comes to a screeching halt. So what happens like in the post-apocalyptic or this giant solar flare or something that knocks <laughs> out a lot of things? Like right now, I think I'm at the top of the world because, you know, I if I needed to um, milk a cow, I can go online and find a lot of different techniques on how to milk a cow and how to build things and how, to, you know, all these things are available to me now. As soon as I lose internet, I don't have those. No. So maybe I should be downloading an offline version of Wikipedia. Maybe I should be downloading offline versions of some well, of these things. In a post-apocalyptic world, you have no electricity to run your computer to view your wiki. So, well, I, kind of, but we can do things with water. We can do solar. We can do, yeah. like we can get power, but um, yeah, you'll, you'll definitely feel, uh, and really appreciate, um, you, you know, how quickly you can get some, some of the data. If you have to pedal your bicycle for 20 minutes in order to read an article. Yeah. That's going to be rough. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness gracious. So I had something I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. Um, a, a new dad to yes. know, dad who, who understands, you know, what being a new dad is like. Yep. Cause I'm coming up on it, man. May 18th. Jeez. Jeez, it's coming up. It's coming up fast too. It. It's coming up really fast because I, I it, you know, I, I, I blinked and it was Christmas, you know, <laughs> and now it's already at the end of February when we're recording this. Two more days, no, three more days are left in in February, and it's going to be over. We're into March. That means I've got two and a half months. So I'm starting to think I need I need to figure out my baby gear situation. Yep. Yep, I got lots of lots of thoughts. Yeah, I don't know what I need, so I I need you to teach me, Sensei. Yes. Um. Okay. First thing, Amazon is your friend. You need to um, once the baby's here, figure out your brand of diapers. You got Pampers. You got Huggies. You're gonna find a brand that mom likes and baby likes. Doesn't cause rashes. It's the right balance. Once you have that, you will uh, go on Amazon. You will do a subscription, and you'll say every you know two weeks or every month or something. Send me some of those those diapers. Send me some of the wipes. Send me some of the, uh, you know, just soaps or e- anything else you need. But take definitely take advantage of Amazon. Okay, uh, you're not gonna want to take the baby out and, and go shopping occasionally, but like it's it'll slow you down. Like things that used to take you 
you know, 30 minutes to get there and back. Well, now you'll double it and you'll have yeah. to go to the bath. Someone will have to go to the bathroom. And so, I don't want baby to get sick either, especially cause like they're talking about this coronavirus flu that, you know, we've, we've talked about it on this show. I don't want to even risk it, especially like the first few months of that baby being here. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to risk it. Yep. I'm just going to order it on Amazon. Fortunately, like the, that stuff does, or that uh, virus will die if it's on something that's sterile for a couple of days. So worst case scenario, you leave your, your, <laughs> your, your wipes or anything you had ordered and it was shipped from China or wherever it was infected. Uh, you leave it out in the back porch for a couple of days and it, everything will die. It'll be good. <laughs> yeah. You'll be okay. All right. But uh, yeah. So first thing, Amazon. Um, so then there's other things that are nice now. Like um, I want to talk about baby monitors and I want to talk about like swings. Okay. Um, and car seats are important. Um, if you haven't already, Go ahead and do a car seat class. Um, oh, I haven't done that. Good yeah, call. your hospital will have one or somebody local will have one. And then once you get your car seat, you can have the fire department help you check it. And once you've had a child, like this becomes easier. But on your first one, you know, you're not quite sure how tight things should be. And, mm-hmm. and you find out that the car seats are, are never tight enough. And you need to keep them rear facing until the kids are 42 and like, all, <laughs> all these rules now. But, uh, um, well, so do you have a car seat that you recommend? Because what does car seat shopping look like? Graco. Like that's the brand. Just uh, go Graco. Graco. Yeah. And you don't want to get a cheap, you don't want to get a used one because they only last for so long and like sun damage affects them or weakens the plastics. Um, and so all of the car seats have expiration dates, but that also might be like a, a financial thing for the car seat maker. So you don't pass these on. Right. Um, true. You don't want a car seat that's been in a wreck. So if you buy a used one, you want to make sure that, you know, it wasn't in a wreck because in, during the wreck, there could be forces on some of the, the places where the belts touch the car seat. And if that plastic is weakened, then the next wreck, it could snap. Mm-hmm. Just so, like a helmet. Just like yeah, a helmet. Absolutely. So yeah, great. Get a little Graco car seat. Um, our first baby, we got one that was like, it could fit in a, a special stroller and that was pretty cool but mm. yeah you're gonna spend or your, your friends and family were gonna spend a lot of money on you but yeah just okay. be, make make your little wish list and tell everybody what you want there you go but uh yeah so car seat get a graco do a car seat class um, get your stuff on amazon um we got the mamaru baby swing and this was like two or three hundred dollars has bluetooth has all the stuff we put our baby in there she did not want a part of it Put the really? second baby in there. Got a little bit of use, but it was really cool. Had Bluetooth and stuff, but um, you got to remember, like people have been having babies for a long time without all this technology, and they've been fine. Like they, true. It's it is convenient. It is neat, but you know they are going to be okay with just uh, being held by mama and, and some rags. Like they <laughs> they don't need everything. That's true. No doubt. That makes sense. Um, so Mamaru baby swing, Mamaru baby swing. And then, uh, uh, the cool one for us techies is what is your, your baby camera or monitoring situation? And so we had a couple options when I was first looking, our first baby monitor was just audio and Mm -hmm. we quickly switched to video and that is the way to go. Uh, you want video, but you want your camera to be able to move so you can point it and then move around the room, possibly zoom. You definitely want night vision. You want two way audio so you can talk back to the baby. Okay. Um, and then there's a feature on it that we just started using and the, and the girls are getting older now. Um, but it, it, it plays music or some lullabies and they really like that for bedtime. Whereas like the first several years of their life, they didn't need it at all. But, uh, our current baby monitor has two cameras and one like little tablet thing that can toggle between the cameras. But when we only had the one child, we just had a single camera, single station. And so what you can start with and what I would probably recommend is just get the little single station. And then if you do have two kids and you upgrade to the dual camera system, mm-hmm. then you ship your, uh, your single camera over to grandma and grandpa's. And, That's true. And then you have yeah. a, a little backup there. So it still gets used. Right. No doubt. The cameras will also tell you the temperature in the room. So you're going to want to keep it, I think a little colder. I think that's the, the proper way. I think like a little bit colder than, than you're comfortable with and you'll want them to be swaddled. 
And then they also have like cry detectors and stuff and audio detectors. So okay. you'll know when the baby's crying and, uh, yeah, Megan just keeps this. She's still carrying this thing around, you know, just every single <laughs> night, the batteries had some cycles through it, but this thing, yeah, we use it every single day and she really, but it gives her freedom. She can go downstairs. She can go, you know, anywhere. And she knows that her babies are okay. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, what do you do for diaper bags and for, you know, um, the, the, what is it called? Where you attach the baby to your chest? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had some of those. Um, I will get links for the show notes after the show, but, um, we, we had several of those, but the, the kids just grow out of them so quick. Really? Okay. Uh, there's one that's just like cloth and you do like this origami wrapping mummy technique where you wrap it in a specific way and the, the baby's held there. We, we like that one. But then when the babies got bigger, we, we got some, some bigger ones that had um, clasps and the babies could flip around and stuff, but you know, they, they do get heavy. Um, but, but they're, they're helpful. Right. They're just difficult to put on alone. Yeah, no doubt. That makes sense. But I, back- see, I feel like I'm going to be using one of those a good bit. Cause like either I'm going to be here, uh, editing podcasts, you know, or working on software or something, probably gonna have a baby just strapped to me. I thought that like pre baby, I had yeah. all these plans. I was going to do all these things. Then I got the baby and realized the baby wants my attention. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I, I, that's when I switched from, an, from using an iPad primarily to an iPhone is because I can single hand the iPhone, but I could not, you know, use two hands on an iPad. I could gotcha. hold the baby while, while she's sleeping in one arm and then, um, try to do stuff on the phone on the other. And then you start to really appreciate, um, apps that are, are well-designed because you, you don't have a lot, you don't have the ability or the time to, to go through there and do tedious things that you could on a computer or, or something bigger. So really? you your, your apps okay. to be really nice. There's a couple cool apps for moms. Um, like there's a breastfeeding app that, that I think is really cool. And I'll, I'll get a link to that also, but you're able to, um, record everything for your doctor. Um, that there's, there's some cool apps. We tried, um, getting an app that you could put on mom's belly and it could hear the heartbeat. It was like an app for the iPhone and it would use the microphone for the iPhone. I think it's snake oil. I never really heard anything, just (laughs) a lot of static. And then I'm wondering like, what am I doing to that baby? Putting that phone that close to it. So don't recommend that. (laughs) No, that makes sense. That makes sense. We also had another device that we, we, we would put under the mattress in the, in the crib. And this device would detect breathing. It was very sensitive. And if the baby ever stopped breathing, it would, all these alarms would go off. All this stuff would happen. And it was to help prevent SIDS or sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah. So that's a real thing you want to, uh, would the alarm go off in the room with the baby to wake the baby up? Or was it something would go off on your phone or how did that work? Um, it would go off. We would have, we had a station in the room with the baby and we had a wireless receiver in our bedroom. So both places would go off. And if we were ever, you know, spending the night at grandma and grandpa's house and we had to sit up there, like everybody would wake up. It's, it's not a, uh, a quiet thing. Like it's, no, it's, it's going to wake people up. But, um, most of the time it only went off if the baby went too far to one side or the other, or mm-hmm. was out of the, the right zone. That was a cool device. Um, was that the only times it would go off? A couple times. I don't know if, if she stopped breathing, but yeah, a couple times it went off. We go in there and, and everything ended up being okay. But it, it was just nice, nice peace of mind knowing that if she stops breathing and she's quiet, um, you know, is she, is she okay? Yeah. Because the best thing about a baby is if they're crying, you're safe because the airway is open. Yeah. It's, it's the quiet times that are not as good. Right. See, that's the one thing that I'm concerned about. Um, cause it, Jenny actually had a family that she knew where one of their chi- uh, children did pass away of oh, SIDS. Sorry, man. That's, yeah, that's it was, it was, it was rough, but that's one of the things I've been thinking about. I've, I've been looking at these little sock devices that you know, go around the baby's foot that essentially do the same thing, but I would love to get, um, a link from you for, for whatever device it was that you used for that. Cause if I can do the same thing, then yeah, that's, that's something I definitely want to prevent. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. My, my fear of putting things on the baby is babies like to get things off of them. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. How'd you get that off? I don't, 
I don't even know how you did that. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, another thing is um, some of these phone apps that can connect to cameras. Like I think it's the nest camera. You don't get the, like, when your iPhone goes to sleep, you might not be alerted as quickly as you would with a dedicated device. Yeah. And depending on network connections, weird things can happen as well. Like in the middle of the night, if your phone got an iOS update and failed or something like mm-hmm. that entire time, you're vulnerable, but these dedicated devices will last through that. And most of these dedicated cameras don't use Wi-Fi. They use, you know, two, they also use 2.4 gigahertz, but it's their own um, mm-hmm. protocols and stuff. So, um, they're not affected by losing Wi-Fi, and you don't have to have a base station like a router or something. You can just right. straight radio frequency is the way yes. to go for sure. Yep, but we would also get interference and weird stuff would happen too. So, just some flexibility and just just try a couple of things. You'll find you'll find out your balance. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes yep. sense. And your baby will be okay. It'll all be good. Oh yeah, I can't wait, man. I, the the closer I get, the more excited I get. She's getting to the point where she will um. Jenny, Jenny and I were just talking about it earlier today where, you know, it used to be she would almost punch Jenny. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. like just straight up just kick, you know, or, <laughs> or punch. But Jenny's saying she's gotten to the point now where she's probably pretty constricted. She's she's getting bigger. It's almost like she's stretching. Yeah. You know, like she's not doing as many like kicks and stuff. It's more like just stretching and moving around a little bit. Our second you know? baby would get hiccups and you and mama could, <laughs> could feel the hiccups. It's cute. Yeah, she got hiccups. Um, we got the opportunity to see it on um, the ultrasound. Yeah. When I went, we found out the baby's gender. Uh, they were checking her heartbeat, and you could see her. She had hiccups. You Aww. could see on the sonogram. It was the cutest thing ever. Did you do the 3D ultrasound yet? We did not do, do that? 3D ultrasound, no. We did it on the second baby, and it looked like mashed potatoes, but it was <laughs> you can, you can kind of see her in there. But the, the 2D ultrasounds, like once they point out – the body parts, you're like, oh yeah, that is an arm. It's really magic that you know we can use a machine to see the baby, measure the baby's head, yeah. check the heartbeat without hurting. See inside mom. the baby's head. Yeah, it's, it's an uh, amazing time to be alive. It really is. It's crazy when you think about it. Like, and what it, it's the strangest thing in the world. We are looking inside someone to see someone else, <laughs> and then we can see inside that person. Like, how? It's straight oh, magic, dude. Yeah. But the other thing that's interesting to me is the doctor is able to figure out how many days or, you know, how many weeks and how many days old the baby is based on like uh, head sizes. But if you think about like a uh, an adult human, I could look at two adult humans and me- try to measure things in, in like their head or something or even their height and have no clue. I can't. But at that when they're that small, they're able to be so precise. It's very mm-hmm. fascinating. It really is. And they do have all sorts of measurement tools. Like when they were, when they're basically marking up the images that they were taking, they could see exactly, they could figure out how much the baby weighed. Yeah. They could figure out how big the baby was and like, make sure that she was on trajectory essentially for, 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 you know, her, her target birth size, you know, make sure she was where she's supposed to be. It's incredible. It's yeah. It's incredible. Again, we've talked a little bit about this on other shows, just like how the medical tech field is a whole nother just realm of technology that we don't really get a chance to see hardly at all, except for like when, when babies are coming, but there's some, and I mean, it's the same names doing it. Like I I remember one of the devices they were using had a big old Samsung logo on it and they're doing some cool stuff there. Samsung and GE. Yeah. Yeah, Samsung Samsung and GE. Yeah. uh, No, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Samsung's all over the place. Like Samsung's doing folding phones, dishwashers. They're doing refrigerators, everything. Uh, Apple everything. does like eight things. <laughs> and yet they used to use Samsung CPUs. They, they used in, like internally use Samsung hardware. They might even use the Samsung screen. I don't even know anymore. Somebody, it's all blurred. Yeah. I, I honestly don't. It's kind of funny because I used to really, really care about little things like that in regards to just tech. I, I would, I knew what parts were made by who, and now it's, and, and now it's just like, no, I use iOS and I use iPhones and I really don't care how much Ram. I don't even know how much Ram is inside of this iPhone 11. I don't know what kind of processor it's got. I have no clue. It's an A something, but I do, I don't care because it works. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell people who have been, been around it for a while because 
the numbers don't mean as much. Like it's not, I don't care if it's the P3, P355, T2, P4. Like I, I don't care. Yeah. I'm past that. It, it's a I'm Samsung chip. It, yeah. Yeah. But you, like, you I, kinda, I don't even know what processor my, my, my laptop's got. I think it has 16 gigs of RAM, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does. But like, that's the only spec that I really know on this laptop. It's fast enough. It does its job. Yeah. I can write code. I can do podcasts, man. That's what matters. I got a, uh, I want to go into some techie stuff real quick. Yeah. I was uh, on one of the Apple news rumor sites and there was this, um, this book that was released from a, I think it was like a former manager or somebody who worked at Apple on the app store. Um, specifically, I think on the, um, is, I think it was for Germany, but they wrote a, a tell all book about a lot of Apple's practices on the app store and being approved and, and things that they do as far as the app store is con- concerned. Um, it was released in German and app. And the only reason I heard about it is because Apple is trying to get them to uh, stop publishing it and, and take it off the uh, digital shelves or the equivalent of, of bookshelves. But what was interesting to me is because Apple tried to do that. It got so much more publicity. I hadn't even heard about it that now I'm, I'm wanting to read this thing. Like and it's, it's contraband, I guess, or it's, it's, it's frowned upon, but very fascinating. How do they handle the app store and rejections and stuff? Because this is like very crucial to what I do for a living. Yeah. What is, what is it called? It's called app store confidential. App store confidential. And it's in German. That. Interesting. So I need someone to translate it for me. <laughs> that would be fascinating to read. But yeah, I want to get. I, I like these insights. When the the ten year anniversary of the iPad happened a couple podcasts ago, um, some of the the early engineers that worked on that project were coming forward with some stories, and I really find those fascinating. But I have to be patient. They can't, you know, talk about them right now, or their stuff will be copied. But yeah. Um, once everything's slowed down and the dust is settled, it's nice to hear some of those war stories. Most definitely. Have you uh, been listening to any good tech books lately or reading any? Man, my, yes, um, lots. But mostly um, I started getting into fiction. Like I was listening to more of the Space Rogues from John Wilker mm-hmm. uh, from a couple of podcasts ago. And like I keep getting on these kicks where... Like there, there will be some science fiction book and there's like two or three books in it. And I, I will just binge them or yeah, I will, the best binging you can do with a book that's many, many hours. Um, whenever you're doing dishes or driving or whatever, you're trying to trying to get some, some time in. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot. There's a, a new Facebook book, Facebook book that was just uh, from <laughs> Stephen Levy, I believe. Did he do, okay. did he do the Steve Jobs no, Walter Isaacson's right. Jobs book. Excellent book, by the way. Like that's that's one book that I read as a seventeen year old from cover to cover, and was just enamored by it. It was so interesting. I just bought it on Audible, I think, a couple weeks ago because I want to listen to it again. But it was just such a good book. I'm looking here. I think Stephen Levy did a book on Apple, but it might have. Might have just been the history. It was from yeah, it's twenty years old. Okay, yeah, there's there's a couple of these authors that are really, really prominent in the tech scene. But yeah, this uh, new new Facebook book. I wanna I wanna read it. It's um he gets to sit down and get some insight directly from Mark Zuckerberg. So interesting. I'd like to hear that. Everything- we need to have an episode where we can just go over books and movies. Okay, that's just about. Uh, about Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Zuckerberg, all all those guys, because I have some th- some thoughts on those, and I would would not be opposed to binging a bunch of them and then coming back and talking <laughs> about them. That would be very very interesting. I because some of them I like more than others. A lot of them are kind of related. So, for example, like I read the the Pixar book, and but it also talks about you know, how Steve Jobs bought Pixar and how he sold it and how the whole process went. And then leading into some of the Apple books, but uh, I went to the a Pixar. Um, what is it called? We went to the museum on Saturday in Denver, and they had a um, like a showing of, of Pixar stuff, and they had a whole bunch of exhibits on 
the cameras and lighting and rendering and the render farm and, and how they, um, would travel to places like for finding Nemo, they went to, went in the ocean and they would record and they would see how there was little particles and particulates that would float in the water and how the sun rays would go through the water in beams and land on coral or the rocks. And then whenever you see that in the movie, it's more realistic. Um, if you've tried to film or if you, I'm sorry, if you try to animate fish and you don't have any particulates or light, it just looks like they're in space or flying. Yeah, it looks very strange. Yeah. Very fascinating. The attention to detail is awesome. But my favorite part of the entire um, entire thing was looking in and watching these little five-minute video clips from all of the engineers that worked at Pixar and just mm-hmm. seeing how you know their day-to-day and how they did things and what they worked on. And it just made everything become a lot more human for me when you realize that this character was animated by a single person and it took them a year to get it all right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just super humbling and and super cool. So yeah, most definitely the the books. um, Yeah. Very interesting to see how the sausage is made and see um, how everybody is human down there at the bottom. Speaking of which, um, did you know that Toy Story 2 was accidentally completely deleted from Pixar servers? Did they get it back? They did because they had one employee who had who was on maternity leave and she was working from home and had a backup, I think on a zip disk or something like that. <laughs> and they had to go to her and get a recovery uh get just to, to recover the entire movie because someone someone ran a script that essentially RM slash is RM dash RF starred. At meaning to completely delete everything on the drive. Wow. Um, they, they accidentally ran that command, wiped their server clean, and they had to go and recover for someone's zip disk. Oh, man. Yeah. So you want to talk about how the sausage is made? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Man. All right. Uh, I got some good news. What's, what's that, man? I I got my website. It's uh, I got cowherd.com. It's taken me 23 years to get this thing. And I, I might have talked about it on previous podcasts. Goodness. But I don't think you have. Can you tell us the story? Oh, man. So it was 12, 1997. Um, I'm wanting to get a website. And I'm talking with my dad. and you know, I'm going to have him. I'm 12. So he will be buying it. And I think at this time, like websites were like $70 a year or something. So as a 12-year-old with no income, um, that's a big deal for me. And you know, I'm talking to him and... Um, we go on a couple search uh, website search engines and this is like pre or like mid bubble or early bubble. Yeah. This is when everybody's trying to make some money. And so there's all these sites out there that you can search for domains. And if they show you the domain that you can buy it, but they, most of the time they will take those search results and, and those search terms and sell that list to somebody at night. So I talked to with my dad. We were going to, uh, we, cowherd.com was available. I was going to purchase it the next day is what we decided. Uh, log in the computer the next day it's sold and someone wants to charge me, you know, several hundred dollars for it. And I know that, you know, overnight that search list was sold and that person or that group of people or that company just went out and bought all of them and they're trying to flip them. How did you react? frustrated. Um, it's like, I, I missed out on it. So we, we got our cowherd.com. My dad's name is Rollin. So his initial R cowherd.com. And I live with that for several years. So my, my dad's name is Rollin. So we got our cowherd.com. And then for several years, I was using that for everything. And this is back before you could have a website, a throwaway website for any project. And I would have like some gaming clan website or some um, informational thing or some Boy Scout website. Like all these things were hosted on rcowher.com and it would take over the homepage while that was important in my life. And I remember using front page 97 and building websites and links and learning how, you know, how all this stuff worked. Um, it was really fun, but this is like at 12. And I, I just, I, I lived with rcowher.com. Um, I really wanted cowherd.com, but just, I, I was, I was, I was frustrated, but the, I don't know. I, I figured at some time in the future, they would just give up and, and just abandon it. Then I could claim it then. So, uh, zoom forward 
seven years, 2005, 2006-ish, I'm in college. I start to have some money. I start to have a job. And I can afford to to get domains and stuff. And so I start looking, you know, can I get cowherd.com? And, and at this point, I'm, I'm registering a lot of domains um, over projects that never do anything. But in the moment, they sound fun or, you know, trying to impress someone by you have a, a, a joke or some inside thing. And you turn around and you have the website for it and you have something posted on there. That's, you know, that's always fun. Um, that kind of died or, or kind of lost its coolness when Facebook took over. When mm-hmm. Facebook uh, became popular, you didn't really need a personal homepage anymore. Everybody just had a Facebook page. They all looked the same, but you could find everybody. Nobody went to the dot coms. So, and at that point, from 2005 to 2010, kind of, I didn't really, didn't really think about it. I figured I would get it someday. It'd be okay. 2010, I contact the owner of this domain and uh, just asking, you know, how much do you want for this? And he comes back $20,000. And I'm like, will you take a hundred? He did not reply. And so I put a, a back order with GoDaddy on this domain, cowherd.com. And so a back order is you pay $20 one time. And every time that that person does anything with the site, on the registrar side. So if they renew it or if they change, you know, move it to a different hosting provider, I would get an email. And so every year around December, I would get an email saying that it was about to expire and I would uh, like check it every day. Like, you know, are they giving up this year? And of course not. No, a couple of days before it was expired, they would renew it for another year. And the entire time, it's so frustrating. The entire time for this 20 years, the web, the homepage would say like it would have ads on it and it would say like, if you want to purchase it, you know, contact us. Or it would say, you know, just some garbage landing page with ads. Yeah. It was never being used. If it was being used by anybody, I would have been totally fine with it. But the fact that it's, it's my name, it is mine. I I lost it. Um, it, it, it was just being wasted. So and I want the email address, Shane at cowherd.com. I've been wanting that for a long time. I'm going to get that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so I'm, um, I'm on this little back order. I'm just watching it. Nothing's changing. And every couple years and I'm reading, I'm trying to figure out how do you talk to these people that own it? Cause I can't pay $20,000 and they're like, um, don't use your, you know, like cowherd.com. I don't email them with shane.coward.gmail.com because yeah, (laughs) that shows that there's value to it. Um, there's like all these techniques to try to like, you know, uh, not, not help them or not show them that it's more valuable, I guess. And also I shouldn't even go to the website because every time I go to the website, they have a counter, they know how many people and, and how much interest it's, it's generating. Right. You, You want them to think it's worth nothing. So, you know, lasted, you know, another several years contacted them a couple of times with fake email addresses. Um, always like you know, 10 or $20,000 or, or no reply, but I always, yeah. Yeah. But I always got a reply from the same group of people. It was interesting. I I've tried contacting others about different domains and so a lot of times you don't get a reply. So it was nice that I was getting a reply. Yeah, for sure. Especially over the course of 23 years. Yeah. So this year I did this, the job change. I've been doing a lot of of thinking about you know, what do I want to do for this next decade. And one of the th- things I want to do is, is start a bunch of smaller businesses or smaller SaaS companies. And I want to, um, you know, I, I need to, to brand them or, you know, need to get them all under the same name. And so I've been working on the name cowherd.dev. That was going to be my new website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I talked about my problems with Walmart last week, but you know, a quick summary is I tried to make an account with walmart.com using um, a cowherd.cloud or some other name that was new and it wouldn't let me do it. You have to use like one of the .com.net.orgs or something. They don't support the others. So I, I can't just like move my entire life over to something different. So you know, it makes .com even more valuable to me. So this is a good time in, in my, uh, uh, my life that I, if, if I'm going to really do this, um, cowherd.com would it'd be a good chance to, to go after the name again. Um, in December, I noticed when one of my yearly checks, 
the domain now said at the top, you know, it's for sale, but it was on a GoDaddy page. It was no longer on these shady, full of ads pages. It was you know, a GoDaddy page. So it's like, that's cool. So I contact GoDaddy and try to um, start this process, you know, negotiate. I, I watched a bunch of these, these pawn like pawn stars and hardcore pawn shop and all these, these things on YouTube about negotiation. I'm thinking, yeah, I got this. I am the worst haggler in the world. Like <laughs> if, if, if you, if I go somewhere, I need to see a price tag because that's what I'll pay. Like haggling. I just don't have that skill. I'm too nice. But in this whole world, like you have to haggle everything in the domain purchasing world. Right. So I'm watching all these like, and they're like, going to the pawn shop. And they're like, I want $500 for this bracelet. And they're like, I'll give you 50 cents. Okay. I'll take it. And so like, after seeing that, that many of these fake, and I know they're fake, but that many of these videos, I have a lot of confidence. I'm like, I'm going to get this for like 200 bucks. So I, I go on, on the site and I, I ask them about it, but I don't, and I also know watching all these things and reading everything. Don't the first person who gives the price is immediately at the disadvantage because until then there's no, the price is, you know, is the, the, there, there's no, there's no limit. So I'm waiting for them to give me a price and eventually, and the person I'm talking to is a middle person, a middleman. They give me a price of like five, that 4,000 to $5,000 for this domain. And I'm like, I can't get that. But you know, so I eventually they, they want me to, to offer something. And so I'm like, I say like, okay, $200. And they're like, they basically laugh at me. They're like, yeah, I can't take that to my, um, can't take that to the seller. It's a very valuable domain. Um, very, <laughs> very important. I'm like, I know it's not important because no one's purchased it in 20 years. It's my name. No, there's no, it's no value to anybody else in the world except me. Like it's, it's, my, I'm going to get this thing. Um, you just don't know it. And, <laughs> but they, he would send me emails back, giving me uh, an appraisal from his own company. So GoDaddy appraised the domain at $5,000. So he would say, you know, it's worth $5,000 according to GoDaddy. It's like, but you can't appraise your own. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In what world does that work? No, you, you can say it's worth whatever you want, but I'm the person who gets to like, or the, the buyer is the person who is at the end of the day, going to determine what it's worth unless there's another buyer. So, you know, I know I can't 5,000 not going to work. So I just, I give up on that dream. Like I'm just, I make it another Gmail or another iCloud account. I'm just gave up on it. But a uh, couple weeks ago, maybe it's like last week I get an email from him, but this is from that guy, not the middleman. And he responded to my email from 2010. So it responded to a 10 year old email. The one where I said, that's crazy. I'll give How you a hundred that. No kidding. Like what? So my last email in this chain, it was like, is this domain for sale? 20,000. I'll give you a hundred. And then 10 years later, um, are you still interested in this domain? I'm, I'm asking 1500. So then I'm like, yes, I, I have negotiation power now. He's list, he was the first person to list the the price. I have my you know I can just work it down from here. So I've been working it down since then. Um, contacted them a couple times, but the biggest hurdle was how do I convince my wife that this is a good choice? Like, so yeah, you know, immediately told her you know the price and and what it is, and her first thought is like no, like you just get anything else dot com. Like it doesn't who cares? Like, but it's me. It's, it's mine. Like that domain has been mine the whole time. He's just been holding it and keeping it safe. But everyone in the world knows this is, I'm going to have this, like I'm going to keep this forever. It's like, yeah, I got to make sure I have a trust or something. Whenever I pass away, like this thing has <laughs> to stay alive a <laughs> hundred years. I mean, this is, this is my legacy. This is, um, you know, so I'm, I'm telling her and Hey Megan, I, you don't know about this, but we did buy it. Well, We'll talk about that soon. Um, hopefully, I've told you in person before you listen to this. But you, you kind of you, I got the hints that you were okay with it, and we spent around that amount of money. It's all good. Um, so I'm, I'm 
you know, trying to tell her, you know, and explain to her and explain to myself, why is it worth spending money on a domain when I can use something else? Um, part of it is there's only one of them in the world. So yeah. I can't like my, my supply is there's only one. If I burn a bridge with this guy or I lowball him too much, or he just doesn't respond to me, I, there's nowhere else I can go. Like this is the only one. And it's the .com. .com is the domain or the, the TLD. It's the only one that matters. So I, you know, I tell her that. I tell her like, you know, some people would buy art or a jersey or a, mm-hmm. a Babe Ruth baseball or, you know, something that's important to them, but maybe not important to other people. It's like a collector's item, but that doesn't, I can't make any money on that. But then recently, um, part of my little transition in jobs and stuff, I started an LLC recently, uh, cowherd.dev LLC. So I'm all official. Um, but I'm, and I have that domain cowherd.dev, but in my heart, I know cowherd.com would be better. Like, I know I'm going to do business with somebody and they're I'm going to tell them my website cowherd.dev and they're going to go to cowherddev.com and it's not going to be me. So I need to register that. Ooh, I should, before we air this, I need to go buy that domain. Yes, Hopefully it's not taken. So, you know, now is now's the time to do it. Um, I, I, I can put a lot of, uh, a lot of projects under this domain. I have kind of been homeless for my domain for 20 years. Like I've had shanecowherd.com, shane.pro, shane, you know, dot a bunch of things and, and cowherd.family and cowherd.cloud and all of these things, but I've never had one that I truly was passionate about. And I wanted to build off of. I would, I would work for other people and build um, infrastructure and and servers and do all the stuff under their names, but never under mine. Never, I didn't have my own. You know, I I'm like a mechanic with a car that doesn't work, or you know, you know, I I have the skills to do it. I just don't invest it in myself, and that's going to change now. So you know, just a lot of self reflection, and and part of it is it was just important to me, and. Yeah. It's just something that I need to do. Um, so I, I'm working, you know, some extra hours doing some other things and I'm going to make this happen. So anyway, we ended up getting it this morning. No, it was, was it this morning? It was this morning. This morning. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's been a blur. I've been, uh, oh man, I have a lot to talk about. Yeah, um, man. So, okay. Long story short, got the site. Awesome. What are we going to put on this thing? Like, what are we going to do now? How can I do this? And, really get some return on investment. I found an app today, and this is also going to be my pick of the week, but I want to kind of go to go in in depth on it. Um, this site, this web app is open source and free. It's called cap Rover. It is phenomenal. So in the past, if I wanted to make a website, I would have to have a server. And then if I wanted a database, I would install the database on that server or maybe a different server, but it would, it's a process. You put a database somewhere, you put a website somewhere. If you want to put a different type of website, you'd have to get another machine or try to do some of a shared hosting. Everything is kind of siloed and things can conflict. My database might require a piece of software at a different version or a newer version than my web software or my, my wiki or my blog. And so getting all of these things to, to work together and, and use the same version can be a headache. And so over the last, I don't know, 10 years, this, this wave of technology called Docker and all these things related to Docker and Kubernetes, has kind of taken the, the DevOps and the server side world by storm. Basically what it does is it, it, it silos or sandboxes your web apps. So instead of me worrying about having, you know, a specific version of something, I just have two copies of it. Now the older version running with that app the newer version running with this other app. I don't have to, to worry about having things talk back and forth. And it also allows you to install apps really fast. I can tear one down, bring it back up or make a second copy of it or clone it really fast. So cap Rover, it, you install this on your web server and then you have like a button that you can click and it will install a database. It'll install a blog. It'll install like a private YouTube or a private Dropbox or a wiki or anything like that. So a couple of podcasts ago, I was talking about vapor, which is a server side swift um, technology. So I'm going to, for like personal projects now, 
try to work with vapor and get vapor to to work with Caprover and then be able to spin up vapors really fast. But uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And then prior to the show, I was showing TJ how all this works. What did you think about it, TJ? Man, I thought it was super cool. Um, we were so Shane showed me this, and after thirty seconds, I was like, "This is just like a self-hosted Heroku." Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know who what Heroku is, essentially, you can you can host your apps in one of two ways: either you can create a server, and you could you know basically manage like your de- what we call your deployment process, which is moving your application from your computer over to a server, so the entire world can access it. You can you can do that manually, and you can set up your database, and you can you can set up your your application server. You can figure out a way to get your app onto the server. You can either do something like that, or you could use this other solution made by uh, made by Salesforce. Well, Salesforce owns them now. It's called Heroku, and what it lets you do is you can write your app, and then with one command. You can have your application get deployed to Heroku servers and they'll manage the whole thing for you. If all of a sudden you end up on the front page of Reddit and you just have a ton, just like thousands and thousands of people hitting your server, they'll handle it for you so that your web server won't go down. So what Shane installed on the server and was super cool, it was almost like a combination of the two. You could have your own server, but you could easily take one of your applications that you built and just send it there. And it just works. Now, one issue with this though, and that Heroku is better at is scaling. So in this scenario for me to, to handle many, many thousands or millions of requests a second, I will have to do more work. Whereas Heroku would do that on my behalf, or it would be easier to scale up. But I've come to the realization that most of the time, like 23 years of my career, I'm not having millions of people hit my stuff. And if I do, um, it will have built up over time. It's not just happening instantaneously. So I've, I've come to some, I've, I've humbled some, and I understand that my user load is going to be in the thousands range, not the millions. Right. So the chances of, of getting hammered by Reddit is relatively small. And, and Heroku can be expensive. So being able to have something like this on a $5 a month digital open, uh, digital ocean server is really nice. So um, before we start recording this episode, I went hunt ahead and created a digital ocean server with, uh, with this little cap rover on it. And I'm going to be playing with it this, uh, this upcoming week. That's really cool. Like it's if your cool. wife wants a website, just throw one up. It's no problem. Yeah. Uh, and then, it doesn't cost anything extra. And if you want to take it down, it's no problem. It's just very, very simple, very, very clean. And there are, there are other application suites that have been doing this for years, but this one's using all the new and shiny and all, <laughs> all mm-hmm. the new cool stuff. But it, 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 I'm liking it, man. I'm really liking it. That's awesome, man. My pick of the week is something called the book arc. I think I've mentioned it a little bit before on this podcast. Um, I may even had made it a pick at one point, but it's so good. I'm going to recommend it again. (laughs) Um, so the situation that I have is I have a 16 inch. We talked about this. I have a 16 inch MacBook pro as my daily driver computer. I use it for everything. I use it at work. I use it for the podcast. I use it for gaming. I use it literally for everything, but I don't want to like when I'm working from home, I have the magic keyboard that I talked about last week. And I also have a 27 inch monitor and I have a traditional mouse. So I run the Mac in what we call clamshell mode, which is we have, I have the Mac, the actual laptop, its lid is closed. So it's basically acting as a desktop computer. Well, the problem with the laptop is those things are wide and they are flat. So it would have to just sit and take up a lot of surface area on my desk. So what the book art is, is it lets me mount the Mac in a vertical position. So I just slip the little Mac into the book arc and all of a sudden it's standing vertically and it looks super sexy. Not only does it look super sexy, the packaging that the book arc came in. Oh yeah. Super sexy. 12 South makes really nice packaging for their material and, and and their stuff is like solid aluminum, but the packaging is so good. I'm still, I have some in my office that have been here for 10 years. It's just, 
lasts. It's like really durable. It's just good quality mm-hmm. materials. It feels like a, it feels like an Apple product. That's what's so nice about it, and that's what I was surprised by. Um, you, you took it out of the box. It felt like you were unboxing an Apple product. Mm-hmm. And you took it out, and it's just solid aluminum. Feels feels amazing, and it looks great on my desk. Like it does the Mac. Then the book arc, neither one of them look out of place sitting right next to each other. They look like they're made for each other. Um, absolute excellent product. Um, highly recommend it. If you run a Mac in clamshell mode most of the time, I would highly recommend getting a book arc. It's it's a great product. Awesome, man. Sir. All right. So uh, we, we did some spring cleaning. Is it spring yet? We did some winter cleaning uh, over the weekend after we went to the, the Pixar thing. And... Uh, Guess what we did not find in the, know, the kids' rooms? What did you not find? We did not find my Apple Watch. I still can't find it. And like, uh, we and this was like a deeper clean. Like, I only have so many of these of these chances left of of doing like a deep clean in places that it might be um, after it's been gone for six months. Like, there's. I think the basement, like that might be my last hope because the, the main floor we've really gone through and moved furniture around in the, the girls' rooms we've been going through. But, oh, man, I don't know where my Apple Watch is, TJ. I'm sorry, man. And, you know, after 21 episodes, I still got to say, podcasting is still hard. Hey, good night, man. Good night, man.